I'm Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the executive pastor, and I'm so pleased to be able to bring the word to you today. Uh, Today we're talking about partnership. Everybody say it. Partnership. Partnership. You could type it in the chat. Partnership. I can't hear you type, so I know you're doing it. Partnership. Howdy, partners. Partnership is a significant concept in scripture. We're going to look at that today. Some things in life are just better together. You know that? Some things in life are better together. Last night at dinner, I introduced my children to peaches and cream, which is peaches and ice cream. We just mixed it together, and my daughter was like, no, that's going to be gross. And then she had it, and she was like, I hate it. (laughs) Oh, peaches and cream together. It's just, I like peaches. I like ice cream. But you put them together, and woo, it's better than both of them. They're better together. Or there's, there's the classic peanut butter and jelly. jelly, right? You know, right? There's cookies and... Okay, I dip it in milk. Yes, milk, but sure. Cookies and a lot of things taste good together. Chocolate and mint, in my view, is an amazing combination, but some people just hate it. It's okay. It's America. You have the right to be wrong. Chocolate and mint together are amazing. They're better together. All these things alone are good. Mint is good. Chocolate's good. Put them together. Woo-hoo! It's a York peppermint patty. I feel like I'm swimming on an ocean. Things are just better together. The most famous food pairing in the world is beans and rice. Beans and rice. It's not, because, it's not just because they taste good together. That's not why it's such an amazing pairing. They actually are better together. Like, Fundamentally, they're better together. Rice is awesome. Rice is awesome Like, because if I'm really hungry and I want to eat 2,000 of something. <laughs> Thank you. But rice is great. Beans are great. You put them together, and they fundamentally are better together than they are on their own. You see, a protein is, is made up of 20, a full protein that our bodies need is is made up of 20 amino acids. Your body naturally produces uh, 11 of these. The other nine have to come from the food you eat. So for our bodies to be healthiest, we need nine other amino acids. And that will, that if you have that, in, then you have the complete protein. You get that from a lot of uh, like, like eggs and, and meat has a complete protein. Rice is an incomplete protein. It has some of those amino acids but it doesn't have all of them. Beans have some of those, but not all of them. And where beans lack, rice has. And where rice lacks, beans have. So when you put beans and rice together, they don't just taste better together. They actually are better together. Together, they create a complete protein. Now you're all smarter, say, ooh. Yeah, you're all, you, you just learned something about biology. I did too, getting ready for this. This message is titled, Beans and Rice and Jesus Christ. Because some things are better, fundamentally, better together. There's people in the body of Christ that will make you better. And you are one of those people that God has called to help someone else be better. Your beans to somebody's rice and your rice to somebody's beans. All the wives just elbowed their husbands and say, we know which one you are. 
I smelled it. I know it. I know which one you are. When we partner with each other, we are better together, church. And, and being a united church means that we're united with God as well. We can together partner with him. So what partnership am I talking about? I'm talking about with each other and with God. There could be unity all three ways. That is partnership. It's no coincidence that today's the last day when you can sign up for fall groups. I hope you take that opportunity. Do it for yourself because you're one click away from your next step, growing with God. And do it for somebody else because you're one click away from helping somebody else because you might be the beans. Partnership. Partnership. I was at a public restroom uh, a few weeks ago, and they had these water-sensing faucets. Have you seen those? Like, you probably, like they've been around a while. You've, you come up, and there's no knobs, but you go, Psh, you do your biz, right? It's pretty cool. And so, so you Psh, get the soap. It's time to rinse off. Psh, you know how these work. However, this public restroom had like 20 faucets, and all of them stunk. They were just terrible. It was like, it was like one of these. You, you might have seen these before, where it's like... <laughs> it comes on when you don't want it to, and it's like you, you kind of you have to do a little dance to make it work. Like, where does the flow? Okay, make it, use all I can, get the slope off. Where's the flow? It's not happening. You have to dance to make the thing work. And so I tried another one, no avail. So I tried a few, and finally I'm like, okay, this is just going to take me longer. And I was there trying to wash my hands. And there was this kid that comes up and uses the faucet right next to me. He's probably fourth grade. And I wasn't paying any attention to him until I heard a grunt. And I looked over, and he's got his hands on this thing. And he's going, (laughs) trying to turn it on. Because he wants the flow, but it's not going. He's like, I'm like, oh, man, i got to help this kid. And I said, it's touch sensitive. Just put your hand underneath. He goes, oh, okay. And I was like, just try again. Just go around. You'll get it. I looked back over. He's pushing, pulling on it again. I was like, man, you got to dance. He did not get his hands washed if it were not for me whispering in his ear for 30 seconds. Come on, up, down, back, forth. Keep going. Don't give up. You can do it. Wiggle it around. Do a little dance. It'll come. Come on. Just up, down, back, forth. Up, down. Just keep going. Keep going. It's like a combination. You'll get it. Up, down, left, right. A, B, A, B, start, select. You'll get it. So he's doing this, and finally he was able to wash his Have you ever felt like that when you're looking for the flow from God? Where, what is going on? God, why don't you do something? Oh. Oh. What is God up to? It's like you're looking for the spout where the grace is going to flow out, but it never seems to work. All you get is a spurt or a drizzle. Why? Why? What causes the flow? I think it's this, partnership. It's partnership with each other and with God. Three-way partnership. Partnership is an important with so many things in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God just doesn't work without partnership. Let me explain this. See, we, we each play a role. If you want the flow, you have to realize that we play a role in the flow. Miracles, 
for example. Oh, that's God. Yes. Where does the power for a miracle come from? God, 100%. But other than creation itself, can you name a miracle in the Bible where God didn't partner with a human? Even once, once God created, he said, hey, Adam, I need you to name these. Did, is God capable of naming? Of course. But he wanted to partner. He took the first step and partnered. Adam, Adam, what do you want to call this? Hippo. Got it. That's a hippo. Great. What about this one, Adam? And he partnered with Adam. Tithing. We give 10% happily, and God blesses the other 90. How does that work? I don't know, but he wants to partner with us. We'll talk about that in just a second, but it's not because he needs it. God's got everything. It's that we need to give. It's about us, not him. The Sabbath, we give God a day, and the rest of them are blessed. Prayers. Luke 18 says that we should always keep asking and never give up. Well, I prayed once. God can do it if he wants to. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure he can. But if he hasn't yet, Luke 18 tells a story when Jesus told, he told a story so that we would know to always keep asking and never give up. Keep asking. Why? The end of that parable in Luke 18, Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? It's about us. Are we willing to step in to partnering with God? Even when we're not seeing the result right now, are we willing to continue to put our hands under the faucet? Are we going to keep praying? Even salvation itself is partnership with God. Who has power to save? Jesus. There's only one right answer there. Jesus. Jesus only. Nothing else. Entirely him. But am I irrelevant? Am I irrelevant? Was I automatically saved? I don't think I was. Romans 10, 13 says, uh, call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of of the Lord. The sovereignty of Jesus. Does that mean that Jesus just picks some people to be saved and he, he picks others not to be saved? I don't think so. I think salvation works by us stepping into all of the work that he did. He did all the work. But I have to turn around. It's kind of like I did not do anything to get water to come to my house. But I do something to make the water flow into my sink. That's not my water. That's the cities. But I have to activate it. I have to, in salvation, I have to receive the free gift. My salvation doesn't happen without Jesus and me. I have to receive what Jesus did. Both of us are required for salvation. Salvation is a partnership. Granted, it was an incredibly lopsided partnership. He did all the hard stuff. I just have to receive it. I'll never be able to pay it back. Oftentimes, like if you have a business partner, you know you're equal or whatever. No, this isn't an equal partnership at all. He, he did, he, it's a lopsided one for salvation. But we're a part of it because we receive and say yes to Jesus. Today, I want to look at a story in the Bible that demonstrates partnership. I believe it demonstrates three-way partnership. Partnership with each other and partnership with God and what happens when, the, when, uh, when there is complete unity and partnership occurring. I asked God, what story do you want me to tell? And I heard him very clearly say, tell him how we crossed the Jordan. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. 
the Israelites in the Old Testament, the story goes they were in, uh, ex- they weren't exiled, they were, they were prisoners and, and uh, slaves in Egypt. And Moses led them out of the promised land. You may have seen a movie about it. It's pretty popular. And, and they, they walked across the Red Sea to get out of Egypt. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It should not have taken 40 years. So once they were out of Egypt, they were pretty much right there. They just had to go straight over, and they didn't. They went down, and God wanted to do something with them in the wilderness. And so around and around they went in the wilderness. And 40 years later, all the people that had crossed the Red Sea, they didn't have memory of that. They were, they were gone. This was 40 years later. And they came up around. So if there's a map, they came up around the side, and they're ready to enter the land that God gave them. Land that's still being fought over today. That land was the land that the Israelites were coming to conquest because God had given it to them. And they entered from the east and there was one more natural barrier for them to come in and that was the River Jordan. And they had to cross it. So God's, here in the the story, God's like renewing his covenant. Like, okay, so your your, your parents and your grandparents saw me part the Red Sea. You guys never saw it. But you're gonna need your faith boosted so let me part something else. And they have to cross this river Jordan. And right there, in that setting, comes the story. We'll read it in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. God said to Commander Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. So it's changing of the guard. Now then, you and all these people, say all these people. All these people, people, right there, it's partnership. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. To who? To the Israelites. God's very clear. This is something that you're going to do together. There's a partnership. There's a partnership. The last natural barrier they had was the Jordan River. And just a little bit off the banks of that Jordan River, there was Jews. Now, now movies, I I don't think, often can, can convey the idea of how big this was. There was at least two million people. That's a big group. That's a big group. With just the people present in this room, if we walk across the yard and back, you're going to see where we were. And you're going to start to tear apart the, the, the grass, and we might need to like repair some of it if you all walked on the same spot. Imagine what would, what would happen to normal ground with two million people walking over it, let alone wet ground. How are you going to get two million people? So you got old people, you got young people, you got people that can't swim, people that need to be held up. How are they going to cross the River Jordan? They needed a miracle. This was uh, somewhat of an an impossible scenario, especially at this time. We'll get into that. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Get ready. Get ready. God's going to do something. You're facing an impossible challenge But God is going to do something. Get ready. Jump down to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was like God's presence. God's presence was there. And if you touched it, your face would melt, according to Indiana Jones. (laughs) Thank you. That was the presence of God, and it always went with the Israelites everywhere they went. Uh, so the people broke camp. The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, went ahead of them. They went in front of the people. If you're taking the notes, you can write this down. Here's number one. God went first. 
we respond. God went first, we respond. My first draft of this, I wrote, God goes first, we respond. I was like, no, he already went. You don't have to wait for God to take an action. He's already done it. God God always has gone first. And here in the story, we see the the Ark of the Covenant went out before the people. God's always the one that made the first move. We have to understand when it comes to partnership with God, we are always responding to him. Every action we take is a response to God. Every action. Is, that response, is your response to God a God-honoring one? Is it a reasonable response or are you embarrassed by your response? Like if, if I give my kids a gift and they say, that's a response and I wouldn't appreciate it. Every action you take in your life is a response to God. I wonder what would, how our lives would look differently if we lived like that. Remembering that. If you're waiting for God to make some dramatic move in your life, he already has. He already has. Preach that, Pastor Adam. Okay. John 4.23 says the Father is seeking worshipers. Before the worshipers even knew that he existed, the Father was seeking them. He initiated the worship relationship. You better have another one, Pastor Adam. I do. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Before you were ever thought up, God, your maker, made you. So he went first. James 1.17. Every good gift comes from God. If you've ever seen anything good in your life, it wasn't because of what you did. Every good gift comes from God. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. Because he went first, I can love. God went first, and now I can respond. I received God's love, and because I received God's love, I can love. I can spread it. Let me share with you why this order matters. This order, God went first, he went first. This matters a lot because if you think you're going first, then you're going to put God in the seat of responding to you like he owes you. God will never owe you. You will always owe God. Nothing you can do. Like we sing the song, I owe all to you. Mm Mm-hmm. You do. So do I. We owe all to God. And nothing we can do will ever repay. We can't repay dying on the cross. Even if we died on a cross, that, that wouldn't pay, f- pay for anybody's sins. Because we weren't perfect. We deserved it. We can't possibly pay God back. We will always be indebted to him. But when we get that order mixed up, it's a lie of the enemy, and it starts to interfere with the partnership that we should be having with God. I went to church... So why is life still hard? I thought if I will go to church, everything's going to get easier. But why, why is it still hard? Why is it still hard? Where's, I gave in the offering. They said, if, you know, if I give, then God blesses. Where's my Tesla? <laughs> I 
It's not that God owes you. That's not how that, how that works. It's not how, God, it's not how it works. God actually got after the Israelites for thinking that way. It was a common thought. See, the, the, God had established with the Israelites um, a pattern of sacrifice. Today, the sacrifice is Jesus Christ. He's the sacrifice for our sins. But in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was, was an innocent lamb. There had to be blood shed to pay for the sins. And, and so they were going around sacrificing to God as though God needed it. It's not how it worked. Psalm 50 says, God says to his people, he says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need you to sacrifice your bull. I have all the bulls. They're all mine, God said. They're all mine. I don't, I don't need it. You need it. You need to be doing it. That passage in, in Psalm, what was it, Psalm 50, goes on. Jesus expresses, you know, he wants to see our heart. And so when we sacrifice a bull, maybe you have bulls that you're, I don't know, your time, your talent, your treasure, when you make a sacrifice to God, it's not that he needs it. He has everything. It's that you need to make the sacrifice because in it, God has all the bulls. Do you know what he doesn't have? Our heart. He has a cattle on a thousand hills, but do you know what he doesn't have? Our heart all the way. And so he asks us to make sacrifices because he knows where our heart wants to go. Self-centered. That's, I mean, I'm there. We're all there. We all, what's in it for me? That's just human nature. But when we sacrifice, it puts our heart in a place where we are moldable by God and we can put him first. So we worship by responding to God. Don't wait for God to give you a sign when he already has. Church. Don't wait for God to tell you something his word already told you. God, do you want me to be kind to that person? If you want me to be kind, make those window blinds open and shut like three times. <laughs> yes, he wants you to be kind. Read your Bible. Yes. Yes, he wants you to be kind. You don't have to pray about that. It's God's will. It's God's will. All right, let's go on. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15 continues the, setting the stage of this miracle. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest. The river Jordan, the word Jordan in Hebrew means descender. So the river Jordan was descending. And it descended at a particularly rapid rate. Even in its lowest season, the water was moving at five or six miles an hour. But at this season, the water would have been over 100 feet wide. So imagine the, the, the length of a football field. That's how wide they had to cross. And the water would be going at a significantly faster rate. There are some parts of the Jordan at this period of time uh, that would have been considered rapids, would have been considered rapids. Considering that, that's, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was going. That's what the two million Israelites had to cross. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reaching the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. What? It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, no relation, in the vicinity of Zarethan. I would have loved to be there just to see that water pile up in a heap. That would be pretty cool. Take some pictures of That'd be on Instagram. While the water flowing down to the Sea of, uh, sea of the Arabah, that is the, death, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho from the east to the west. 
the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan. Say in the middle. They stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, which was a miracle. That ground had to be very dry for two million people to walk across to not get stuck. Here's number two. Get in the middle of it. Get in the middle of it. Let's not be passive. Let's get in the middle of it. For the priests to take the first step into a rapid flowing river would have taken a step of faith. Yet they did it and God, God moved. I thought you said God went first. Yes, he did go first. God went first. But they still had to take a step. We respond to God with our step of faith. They had to get in the middle of it. We respond to God's first step by having enough faith to get in the middle of our Jordan River. Where's your problem? Where's your challenge? Where's, where's your Jordan? Sometimes you got to get in the middle of it. Take a step. Don't sit back and wait for God to do a miracle if you're not willing to do what he told you to do. If there's a miracle coming, he's probably going to use a human. He's probably going to partner with a human in that miracle. Don't wait for life to happen. Just this week, I was driving in Auburn, and I saw a car stalled in the middle of the road, and cars were honking at him, and it was a situation where, like, you couldn't see him until you were, like, right behind him, and so cars were just lined up a long way, and it was near a gas station that I was going to to get gas. I had time to help. I was able to help. It gave an opportunity for me to show off <laughs> a little bit. And there were hundreds of cars that let life happen to them, and they drove on past but I, but I pulled into the gas station, looked over, and thought, well, why not? I'm created to do good works. Ephesians 2.10, I'm created to do good works. I got this. So me, chimp, and champ <laughs> headed over, all three of <laughs> And we pushed that guy into a, into a parking lot so cars could... Uh, could pass. I didn't wait for life to happen. I went and happened to it. You know, Chuck Norris jokes should apply to Christians. Have you heard some Chuck Norris jokes? Are you familiar with this idea? Chuck Norris was a, he's got this tough guy image, and he's got such a tough guy image that he's inspired a lot of internet memes <laughs> of how, how strong of a tough guy he is. So Chuck Norris jokes, or as I believe Chuck Norris facts, are ridiculous statements about the absurd strength of Chuck Norris. Here's a few. Chuck Norris doesn't do a push-up. He pushes the earth down. <laughs> See how it works? When the boogeyman goes to sleep at night, he checks under his bed for Chuck Norris. <laughs> Chuck Norris once stared into the abyss, and the abyss nervously looked away. <laughs> when Chuck Norris went to college, he told his father, you're the man of the house now. COVID-19 is desperate to create a vaccine against Chuck Norris. <laughs> Burger King, in fact, Burger King started the Have It Your Way campaign because Chuck Norris walked in and ordered a Big Mac. That was the beginning of, of it. When Chuck Norris is in Rome, the Romans do as Chuck Norris does. That's my favorite. After Chuck Norris hits the gym, it has to shut down for repairs. When Chuck Norris goes swimming, Chuck Norris doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. The water gets, gets Chuck Norris. Water doesn't happen to Chuck Norris. He happens to water. And when Christians go through life, life doesn't happen to them. 
they happen to life. We all can be a little bit more like Chuck Norris. Yeah, let's be more like Jesus. Yes, thank you. God called Joshua to lead people into the promised land, the cross of the Jordan. And in order to do it, they had to get in the middle of it. They had to get in the middle of it. They didn't pat around and say, well, it's not diverted yet. They didn't stay in camp and say, you know, maybe, in, maybe, maybe when the time's right, God will, you know, a boat will come by. We'll get a, maybe, maybe we should caulk the wagon and float across. There was an Oregon Trail back then. God called them to cross the river, and they literally took a step. They literally took a step until they were in the middle of it with the presence of God. That's a picture of partnership. Do you see it? They literally took a step. I hope you will take a step until you're in the middle of it. Let's change our world. God has called you to something. No exceptions. If you're a Christian, God has called you. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It doesn't say we're created, we're God's handiwork. We're created so we can mosey through life waiting for good works to be done. We're created to do them. Don't let life happen to you. Happen to it. Life is going to go home and say, hey, honey. And life's wife is going to be like, how was your day today? And life needs to say to his wife, those Christians, they keep doing stuff to me. They keep showing up. Let's happen to our life. God's already in the middle of your Jordan. He went ahead. He's already in the middle of your Jordan. Will you join him? Will you partner with him? One of the ways we have an opportunity to do this uh, is with one of our outreach groups called Serve DeKalb. We need a lot of you to get part part of that. Uh, We have a, a, a Serve DeKalb project that's coming up on September 24th where we are going to partner with Eastside Football and serve the Steel Dynamics uh, company picnic. They're doing a company picnic in Auburn, and they need a bunch of volunteers. And we have the opportunity to serve alongside Eastside families. And they're going to say, people are going to say, wow, who are these other people? Oh, they're from New Hope Christian Center. And you have this opportunity to serve alongside Eastside families and bless others in our community. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That should be enough reason right there. On top of it, part of Steel Dynamics' uh, expenses for their company picnic is that they're making donations to the organizations involved. And 100% of that that comes here will go towards Heart for the House. 100% of that. But we need an army of New Hopers to be involved. Uh, they're looking for a total of 100 volunteers on that day. I want you to please sign up for Serve DeKalb. If you sign up for Serve DeKalb, you'll receive information about this and other project, projects. doesn't mean you're going to go to everything. It just means, yeah, I want to know about stuff you do. I want to know about Serve projects that you do. Uh, if you don't have that, stop by the table. Uh, Bethany will be at the table right there in the foyer after service, and she's happy to help you get signed up for that and anything else. I can happen to my life with confidence because I carry Jesus. I carry Jesus with me. Here's number three. Unity is key. Unity is key. Unity is key. 
We're going to pick up the story in Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel, everybody say all Israel, all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on the dry ground. When the whole nation, not part of the nation, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel. One from each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over to, uh, carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Jump down to verse 7. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. A memorial for what? That when the 12 were together, God did a miracle. Yes. When the 12 were together. If we know the future, knowing now the whole story of Israel, we know that Israel wasn't always together. I can just imagine a few generations later, little Junior was in Grandpa's arms, and they were over there by the Jordan, and, and little Junior said, why are there, why are there 12 rocks? There should, there should just be 10. There's only 10 tribes in, in Judah. And grandpa says, oh, but when we were together, God did a miracle. When we were united, God did something amazing. Joshua has a very strong theme of unity. When God's people were united, they won. When God's people were not, they lost. The words each, every, and all are mentioned 239 times throughout the book of Joshua. The unified, nation of, the unified nation of Israel, living in faithfulness with God, so that's three-way unity, partnership, was a key to the victory. Partnership with each other and with God made the whole difference. It made the whole difference. And today, unity of believers is key. Yes. Partnership with each other and with God is key. We're not, conquest, we're not conquesting Israel today. Today, we're conquesting the world for Jesus. We want the whole world to know Christ to see his love. So to win the world for Christ, it requires church unity. In the book of John chapter 17, right before Jesus was arrested, he prayed. He prayed in the, in the garden and, and he was praying before his arrest and, and here it is, here's his prayer. My prayer is not, for them, not, not just for them, my, talking about my 12 disciples. My prayer is not just for my 12 disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. It's us. We're the ones that believe in, in Jesus because of the 12 disciples' message. Passed down. That all of them, all of us, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Something amazing happens. Something that I can't even explain happens when we're united. As God's people, yes. when we come together, something amazing happens. Amen. Rice is good. Beans are good. You put them together, and they are fundamentally better. They are fundamentally better. Can we stand together? You're good. I'm good. You put us together, we're better. You have what I don't have, and I have what you don't have. When we're together, under submission to God, it creates a three-way partnership. And we're an unstoppable church. Yes. 
We're an unstoppable church. I'm really excited to see what the heart of the house offering happens, winds up being, the total. I'm excited for that because I know there's no one person that's going to make that number big. It's all of us. Working together. We can do more. We're, we're fundamentally better together. I was so moved by hearing the testimonies of lives that were changed last spring during our semester of groups when there was people that realized that they're rice to somebody's beans or maybe your beans to somebody's rice. God did works in people's hearts. And they got closer to him. They grew. God's people get better when they're together. I hope you sign up for something. I do. This isn't a promotion. This is a chance to take a step. It's a spiritual step when you join to serve or be a, be a part of a group. Something amazing happens when God's people... I, I don't even understand it, but it's like it unleashes a miracle. I don't even understand it, but I trust it because I see what happens over and over in the Bible when God's people come together with him. Amazing things happen. Can we sing about that, Pastor David? Let's join together.